Hello and welcome to this episode of Nudge, the Consumer Psychology Podcast. We all know the feeling. You're at work, you've got a precious free hour to start your project, but you just can't seem to focus. Every time you attempt to get started, your mind drifts. You check your emails, you look at your Slack notifications, you take a quick glance at Twitter, and before you know it, the hour is gone. If this sounds like you, then you're not alone. We've become hooked on notifications. Our brains are now short-wired, getting more distracted than ever. For business professionals, this represents a problem. How can we create our best work in a world full of distractions? But for managers and business leaders, there's an opportunity. How can we create workplaces that encourage collaboration without constant distraction? In this episode, I chat to Nir Eyal about the psychology of distraction and the nudges we can use to become indistractable. Nir started two tech companies, he's taught at the Stanford Graduate School of Business, and he's wrote the now best-selling book, Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. Now Nir's focusing on why we get distracted and how to fix it. To start our conversation, I asked him to explain what distraction is. The podcast I'd like to recommend today is the D2C pod brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. The D2C pod is a podcast all about all the things direct to consumer. The hosts cover everything from starting, growing and optimizing e-commerce stores and D2C brands. If you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, this is a podcast for you. To start, I'd suggest checking out episode 318, which features the CMO of Feastables. So listen to D2C pod wherever you get your podcasts. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's like trying to remember the name of someone you've just met at a networking event. I've made this mistake before, introducing a colleague to my new friend Dan, only to find out his name was actually Ian. Being personal with your customers is important, but keeping on top of all that information can be very hard. That's where HubSpot's all-new service hub comes in. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. It's got an AI-powered help desk and an AI-powered chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. Plus, it never forgets a first name. All of that can help you scale support and drive retention and revenue. That means better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit hubspot.com service to do more for your customers today. Let's define what we mean by distraction. What, what is that exactly? So the best way to understand what distraction is, is to understand what it is not. If I asked you, what's the opposite of distraction? Most people would say focus. It's not focus. The opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction is traction. If you notice, traction and distraction both end in the same six-letter word, A-C-T-I-O-N, that spells action. And both words actually come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. So traction is any action that pulls you towards what you want to do. The opposite of traction is distraction any action that pulls you away from what you want to do. So the idea here is really intent, that you don't know what a distraction is unless you know what it distracted you from. 
So the first step to conquering distraction is not to complain about the mean, big, bad technology companies making products so good you want to use them all the time. That is a fool's errand. If you hold your breath waiting for products to become less engaging, you will suffocate. Instead, do something about it by deciding what do you want to do with your time? I can't tell you how many people I met in, the, in my research uh, for Indistractable didn't really know what they wanted to do with their time. So of course, in this day and age where we have ready access to the world's information at our fingertips, you know what? The price of all that progress is that it is easier to get distracted than ever before. So what we have to do is to start by deciding what we want to do with our time. What are our values? And so we have to ask ourselves, uh, you know, values are defined as the attributes of the person you want to be. And so we have to ask ourselves, you know, if you looked at my calendar, could you tell for yourself, what kind of person I want to be? How do I spend my time? Do I spend sufficient time on myself uh, if my body is valuable to me? Do I spend enough time uh, learning, educating myself if that's one of my values? At work, am I just responding to things all day or do I have time to reflect and strategize to improve my performance as well as my company's performance? Most people, two-thirds of Americans, don't keep a calendar. That's crazy <laughs> because, again, you can't call something a distraction unless you know what it is that it, you are getting distracted from. In order to stop getting distracted, we can't just remove notifications or simply silence our phones. Instead, we have to understand what we're being distracted from. What's the thing we want to do and why aren't we doing it? To understand that, we have to look at triggers. So now that we know traction and distraction, we ask ourselves, what prompts us to either do what we plan to do or takes us off track? And again, we come back to a very familiar theme here in, in Hooked, uh, that the only two things that prompt us to either traction or distraction are external triggers or internal triggers. So if an external trigger, a ping or ding or ring, prompts us to do something we want to do with intent, something that we plan to do in advance, well then great. So if you get a notification on your phone that says, hey, it's time to work out or an alarm clock or you know, some kind of notification that says, now it's time to do the thing you want to do with your time, wonderful, it's serving you. But if you are pinged or dinged and now you're taken off track, you're doing something you didn't plan to do, well, now it's leading you towards distraction. So, the, so, so those are the external triggers. And that's what most people tend to blame, but that's kindergarten stuff. That's easy. We can, I can, you know, there's a few chapters in the book that tell you in just, you know, less than an hour, how you can make your cell phone, your computer, all of these technologies distraction free. I mean, I will tell you step by step what to do in the book. That's easy peasy. It's much more difficult and yet much more important to focus on the internal triggers because as we learned earlier, all human behavior is prompted by a desire to escape discomfort, which means time management is pain management. So if we want to do whatever it is that we say we're going to do, whatever's according to our values, if we get taken off track, the only reason, if it's not an external trigger or a planning problem, the only other reason is because of something going on inside of us. Internal triggers are what really cause distraction. It's the pang of boredom that causes us to open Twitter, and it's the hint of loneliness that keeps us scrolling through Instagram. Simply removing those apps won't help as the internal driver still remains. To become indistractable, we have to look at the internal factors that actually cause distraction. This can reveal something really interesting. Say you're getting distracted at work. Think about when it happens. Chances are it's at the same time every day. Think about what really causes your distraction. It's probably not your email or your phone. It might instead be that at 3pm every day you just get a little bit hungry. 
Understanding this helps you deal with distraction, but it's just the start. Nir has found four techniques he suggests to help you become indistractable. Here are the four techniques that we use to become indistractable. Step one is to make sure that we can master our internal triggers. Do we have the tools we need so that when we feel lonely, uncertain, uh, stressed, fatigued, whatever that internal trigger is, do we have a way to cope with that discomfort in a way that doesn't involve getting off track by checking Facebook or email or whatever it might be, or, or uh, drinking or what, you know, there's all kinds of distractions out there. <laughs> They're not limited to technology. Anything that moves us away from our present state of pain, any analgesic is in fact addictive. So that's the first step is to master our internal triggers. The next step is to make time for traction. And we talked about that earlier, how we have to plan our day or someone else will plan it for us. The third step is to hack back the external triggers, right? So there's some, some very uh, common sense techniques that few people actually use <laughs> to make sure that we turn off those external triggers, not only on our devices, but also in, uh, in, in our work environment. You know, many of us work in open floor plan offices, huge source of potential distraction, and few people know how to turn those distractions off. So one of the things I wanted to get out, get out into the world is this idea of using what I call a screen sign. So every copy of Indistractable, the print edition, comes with a cardstock cutout that you pull out of the book, you fold it into thirds, and you put it on your computer monitor, and it says in a bright red sign, I'm indistractable, please come back later. And then finally, we can prevent distraction with packs. This is the crucial fourth step. After we've done the other three steps, we need to learn tactics to keep ourselves in. Not only do we keep distraction out, we have to find ways to keep ourselves in. And I talk about these three pre-commitments, and pre-commitments are a, a thousands of year old technique that we can use to prevent distraction by making a pact with ourselves, with other people, to make sure that we do whatever it is we say we're going to do. So those are the four steps to becoming indistractable. We master our internal triggers, we make time for traction, we hack back the external triggers, and finally, we prevent distraction with pacts. Well, there's not time to explain every step in detail here. That's what I'd recommend Nir's book for. There are a few tactics that are worth highlighting. One example from the book is a nudge that drastically reduced medical mistakes. Now, we know that getting distracted is bad, but getting distracted as a hospital worker can be deadly. In fact, if medical error was a disease, it would rank as the third leading cause of death in the US. Researcher Becky Richards was part of the special team that realised how distractions were at the core of most medical mistakes. She found that mistakes were made by highly trained, well-intentioned people who simply weren't able to concentrate. Her studies found that nurses received 5 to 10 interruptions each time they dispensed their medication. One of Richard's solutions didn't go down particularly well with her nursing colleagues, at least at first. She proposed nurses wear brightly coloured vests to let others know they were dispensing medication and that they should not be interrupted. They felt it was demeaning, Richard said in an article on the nursing website. She said, we were really thinking about abandoning the whole project just because nurses didn't like it. It wasn't until the hospital administration provided Richards with the results of her experiment that the impact of the trial became clear. The unit recruited for Richards' experiment saw a 41% reduction in errors, all thanks to nothing more than wearing brightly coloured vests to let people know that they were working. After reading this, I couldn't help but think of open plan offices. They are a massive productivity killer. 
The increased number of distractions completely trumps any benefits you may get from improved collaboration. In Bruce Daisley's book, Joy of Work, he cites an oil firm that monitored staff performance on a number of metrics as they moved from a partitioned office to an open plan office. Six months after the move to the open plan office, they found that disruptions were up, that productivity had fallen, in turn stress had increased, and co-workers actually felt more distant. Open plan offices are a great cost saver for companies, allowing them to squeeze more employees into a smaller space, but almost all research suggests that it stifles productivity. To get around it, we can implement ideas like Becky Richards' vest or Nears' I'm a distractible screen sign, but that alone won't be enough to fix your workplace productivity. But the fact is we operate in environments and our environments can change our behavior, uh, as anyone who's studied behavioral design knows. And so, you know, if you adhere to these principles and yet your boss insists on calling you, at 9 p.m. on a Friday with a big project, or you have an office culture where people are constantly responsive to their devices, then these techniques won't work for you, right? Because if you don't do what your boss says, even if that's not what you plan to do with your time, you're going to get fired. You're going to use your livelihood. In which case, we need to ask ourselves, wait a minute, is it the tech that's distracting us? Or is it our stupid boss? Is it a dysfunctional workplace culture? And of course, that is the answer. That that distraction in the workplace is not just about the technology. The technology is what's called a proximal cause. The root cause is a dysfunctional workplace culture. And so what we want to do as as managers or or anyone, frankly, doesn't just have to be the managers, is to understand that a healthy workplace environment has three things in common. Number one, it provides psychological safety to the employees, meaning people can raise their hand and with a concern without fear of getting fired, okay? Providing psychological safety is the first step. The second step is to provide an environment for people to air concerns. And the third step is that, well, of, of, of the third, of, of the third um, trait, I should say, not step, the third trait of a company that has a healthy workplace culture is one where management exemplifies the culture. And in this case, one where management shows to, to everyone else what being indistractable looks like. So psychological safety and a place to a forum to, uh, to, to air concerns and management that exemplifies what it means to be indistractable. When you have those three things, and I, I profile uh, several companies, including the Boston Consulting Group, which used to have a terrible culture now is a much better workplace environment, uh, as well as uh, Slack, which is ironic. It's this technology that so many people blame, this group chat app that so many people blame for causing distraction. But in fact, at Slack, Distraction isn't a problem, <laughs> believe it or not, because they have these three attributes of a, of a company that, uh, that, that has a healthy workplace culture. And so that's what we need to form. And I tell you in the book how to do that. We have to basically start very small, small teams and experiment. You know, what I see a lot of folks doing is they say, oh, well, it seems like this no tech thing is popular. And this one company, our competition, they do no email Friday. So let's do that. And that is totally not the right answer. If you shoehorn someone else's solution to your problem, it will fail. The idea here is that distraction is just one of many, many, many problems that companies have. And if companies can't solve their problem by engaging their employees to talk in an open atmosphere where they don't fear getting fired for voicing concerns, if they don't have that kind of culture, distraction is just one of many, many skeletons in the closet. 
If you were to walk around Slack's company headquarters in San Francisco, you'd notice a peculiar slogan on the hallway walls. It states, work hard and go home. It's not the type of motto you'd expect to see in a Silicon Valley company that makes the very tool many people say keeps them at work even after they've gone home. Maybe it's because Slack knows the perils of distraction, but as Nir said, they've built a workplace that really adheres to that slogan. They haven't done so using hard tactics like bans or curfews. Instead, their tactics are soft. To start with, they follow Nir's advice and get their senior team to lead by example. Bill Matakis, who served as Slack's chief revenue officer and chief marketing officer, states that he would block out time in his calendar for uninterrupted work. He made sure that people knew he would not respond to message during this period, and in other words, created a positive example that other people could follow. Bill also said that employees are heavily encouraged to use a do not disturb feature that blocks notifications out after hours. And he says there's barely a soul in the office at 6.30pm. Slack have created this environment by ensuring every member of staff knows about the damaging effect of distraction and actively talking about it with their boss. The book Joy of Work cites studies that claim employees get distracted every three minutes on average. This isn't just an annoying part of work, it's really dangerous. Half of the people who check email outside of work exhibit signs of high-level stress. And we can put an actual cost on that stress as well. In the UK, work-related stress illnesses account for 50% of all time off work. In other words, billions of pounds worth of lost productivity. So if you're a senior manager at a large organisation and you're tasked with growing the business, increasing sales or doubling production rate, your best bet of doing so is probably by building a distraction-free, stress-free workplace. It's novel and it goes against most business textbooks on how to grow, but it could be the nudge that actually makes a difference. Moving on from work, I asked Nir a personal question. How has his life changed since he started following the principles he documents in his book? Uh, the changes in my life. So this book took me five years to write, and uh, it took me that long because I experimented a great deal on myself and with other people, uh, people who I, I, I wanted to make sure that you know every technique in the book that I recommend not only is backed with peer-reviewed studies, so I, I hate these personal development books that say, oh, you know, I, I take cold showers every morning and look how effective it is. That's the secret. Come on, where's, where's a peer-reviewed study that shows that? <laughs> and it was, so nothing in the book doesn't, uh, it hasn't been peer-reviewed. It's all old research. But also, I looked at the stuff that actually worked for me in my own life. And so, you know, I was patient zero here. I wrote this book not because I've mastered distraction, but because I was looking to master distraction. I have been constantly distracted for as long as I can remember. And it wasn't until I started implementing these steps in the book that I finally got control of my intention and my life. Uh, and so that it's been life changing. I, I am in the best shape of my life physically. I used to be clinically obese. I no longer am. I'm in the best shape of my life. I exercise regularly now. Uh, I spend more quality time with my daughter and my wife than I ever have. And I, I do better work than I ever have before because I do what I say I'm going to do. I strive to live with personal integrity. Now, do I still get distracted from time to time? Of course. Becoming indistractable does not mean you never get distracted. It means you are the kind of person who strives to do what they say they're going to do. So now, when I get distracted, I know why I got distracted, and I can do something about it so that I don't keep getting distracted by the same thing day after day. I can take steps to prevent that distraction from occurring next time. 
become indistractable, we can't just remove notifications off our phone. We have to tackle the internal triggers that encourage us to look at our phones in the first place. And to build a stress-free workplace, we simply can't introduce zany ideas like an email free Friday. We have to encourage all employees to talk about the perils of distraction and create environments where they feel comfortable to switch off notifications and leave the office on time. Huge thank you to Nir for joining me on this episode of Nudge. Nir's book, Indistractable, is out now. It's a really brilliant read for anybody who wants to improve their work or simply get more stuff done. A link to buy the book on Amazon is in the show notes, so click there if you want a copy. And thank you for listening to this episode of Nudge. It's a little different from previous episodes, focusing more on improving our work rather than our marketing or sales tactics. If you have any feedback, thoughts or suggestions, you can tweet me at Nudge Podcast. Anyway, thank you again for listening to this episode of Nudge. Nudge.